Amen. Let's bow together. Father, thank you so much for your blood that was uh, shed through your son on the cross at Calvary for our sins. And now this morning as we celebrate not only the cross but also the resurrection, I pray that you'd speak life into every single individual. Especially those, Lord, who have not yet come into a personal relationship with you. God, this is their opportunity, another opportunity for them to hear the gospel and to respond. So I pray against the enemy who would love to distract and the, the enemy who would love to steal the truth from their heart so that they would not respond. I pray in the name of Christ that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would um, push out the enemy even now in the name of Jesus and that you would give us the supernatural capability to focus our attention upon you and your word. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would blow upon this fellowship in a unique way. Father, I pray for those who are dead to come alive. I pray for those who are alive, God, that they would live in such a manner as to glorify you and to bring others to faith in you. Thank you for the opportunity to lift up the Son of God this morning. And we give you this day, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, you brought a Bible with you. Say yes. And I'm going to invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and 24. I'm only going to pull two verses from uh, those two chapters, so don't be nervous that I'm going to go through the whole thing. Y'all listening? But uh, very excited about what the Lord is going to speak to our hearts uh, tonight from the Word. want to talk to you about experiencing a new day. Let me ask you, have you ever had a day in your life where you just thought, man, I cannot wait for this thing to get over, right? Anybody ever felt like that? Hopefully you never felt like that while I was preaching. Can I get a witness? But there are some of us, we've experienced that. You know, if you've ever had a 24-hour bug, you're like, Lord Jesus, just give me another day, all right? And so you're desiring that new day to actually be experienced. You know, both of our sons uh, this past week have been sick. Garrison's had the flu, and I know he's desired a brand new day. Also, Gavin was sick yesterday, and I know he's desiring a new day. You know, I'm sure most of you have actually heard about the one month of darkness that happens in the state of Alaska, an entire month where they are longing for a new day. You see, about one-third of Alaska is above the Arctic Circle. And those who live there experience what is often called a polar night. Polar night is a period of days in December when the sun never peaks over the horizon. And it's during this particular time that much of the state is left in darkness, even at high noon. I learned about this phenomenon when I was only in elementary school. And I remember thinking to myself, good night, I would uh, hate for just every single day to feel like nighttime. Could you you imagine what it would be like just wanting a new day to dawn or could you imagine such darkness you know it's that concept of darkness and a new dawn or a new day that really intrigued me as I studied uh, for the Easter message this year you know oftentimes a, a preacher puts a lot of pressure on himself to preach a good sermon on Easter y'all listening but I hadn't done that <laughs> I'm just kidding y'all all right Stick with me, man. Good night. Y'all are rough. But uh, a couple of things that we're going to see this morning from these verses that are just awesome to me. So Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. You've got it there in front of you. Say yes. And uh, get ready because you're going to fill in the blank on one of the words here. But I want you to see it. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and, what's your Bible say? Darkness. Everybody say it out loud. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. This, by the way, is descriptive of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Darkness fell over the whole land. Now look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. But on the first day of the week at, what's your Bible say? 
Early dawn, early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. You see, in these two verses, we find the reality of both darkness as well as early dawn. And God, by his grace this morning, can actually speak a new day into your life. So let's ask him to do so. Father, thank you for your word. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you grant me the ability to deliver this message again. And God, I pray for those who are here today, especially those who are far from you, they don't know you. God, I pray that through the preaching of the gospel, foolishness as it is, that you draw people to salvation. God, I also pray for us who are believers. We're walking with you. God, I pray that the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus uh, does not grow so familiar in our lives that it no longer moves us anymore. May we be once again overwhelmed by the reality of your resurrection. And we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. So these two verses, darkness and dawn. From these two verses, I want to ask one very simple question. And the question is, how can a person experience a new day? Now, this message is overwhelmingly simple. So simple, in fact, if you're not careful, you will miss the root of the message. So I want to encourage you to stick with me through the whole deal and notice what the Scripture teaches about darkness as well as about a new day. So how can a person experience a new day? First of all, we must identify the darkness. We've got to identify the darkness. In fact, I want you to know that darkness often accompanies the judgment of God's wrath. When I was studying for this message, I began to look at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament and reference all the places where we saw darkness overshadow the land. And oftentimes, whenever I would read about darkness, I would also be reading about the judgment of God's wrath being poured out upon an individual, upon a group of people, or upon a land. I found this to be true in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, where we read about God's judgment upon Egypt because of their hard-heartedness. They were commanded by God through Moses to let the people of Israel go. However, they hardened their hearts to the message of the Lord, and so the Lord struck the land of Egypt with plagues. One of those plagues, interestingly enough, was actually called a plague of darkness. And listen to what the Bible says concerning this plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky that there may be, listen to this, darkness over the whole land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. See, for three days, the Egyptians were actually unable to see anyone. It was so dark. The Bible also tells us that they were unable to even get up from the bed and move around because of the darkness. The darkness was so thick that Scripture indicates that the thickness could be felt in the very bones of the people. See, darkness accompanied the judgment of God's wrath. So, you know, as we jump into the New Testament, we actually see darkness showing up again. In fact, in the New Testament, we read about how those who are outside of the faith, those who are far from God, those who are stubborn to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, actually experience darkness in their own hearts, in their own lives. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, we read that they are darkened in their own understanding. 
You know, as I consider darkness in the New Testament, uh, my mind always rushes to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an individual man who literally uh, sat high, as it were, in the context of the Pharisees and the ruler of the Jews. He was a person who was well-respected in most religious circles of his day. However, Scripture tells us that Nicodemus came to visit Jesus Christ, listen to what the Bible says in John 3, in the dark while it was night. See, the dark that surrounded Nicodemus, and this is awesome, the darkness that surrounded Nicodemus the night he visited Christ was only a reflection of the darkness that surrounded his heart. And you would imagine that it was a darkness akin to that in Egypt which Nicodemus could actually feel. And so concerned about this darkness in his life that he went to Jesus Christ where he had the opportunity to see light and he asked the Lord Jesus how he could be saved. Now, as we continue to kind of skip a rock across the New Testament, we find ourselves in other passages like 1 John. In 1 John, it describes those who are far from God as walking in the darkness. And the Bible also says that the darkness actually blinds the eyes of the unbelieving. So darkness could be a fact in your life today. So listen to the preacher for just a moment. You've come to church on Easter Sunday morning, and we're excited that you're here. But better yet, I need to warn some of you that you are walking in darkness, and darkness is overshadowing your life even this morning as the Word of God is being preached and the Son of God is being lifted up. You know, the Bible also tells us that the weight of darkness begins to surround a person's life and they feel the effects of the darkness because in Ephesians chapter 5, they are involved in the deeds of darkness. So that literally means that they continue to do things that represent the kingdom of darkness, which is led by sin and the devil. Now, Jesus says in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 15, that out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Now, this morning, I brought with me uh, some crayons. Y'all remember when you were at elementary school and you used to love to do crayons? Can I get a witness on that? Don't leave me up here hanging. Y'all out there used to color with crayons. Some of you still do. It's all right. Some of you sign your checks like that. It's all right. <laughs> that was a joke. But anyway, so uh, this crayon box this morning, I want you to see it represents your heart. So at the moment of your birth, the Bible says that you are born with a heart that is set against God. And if you open up this crayon box, which we've cleverly designed for you this morning, it's actually filled with all sorts of dark colors. And then out of the darkness of our own hearts, we actually live our lives. We do certain things. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, out of the heart, and this is actually a man here, not a heart. Y'all with me say yes? And are y'all impressed? Not at all. But anyway, so out of this man's heart, let me put a little hair on him. Now it's better. <laughs> out of the heart, the Bible says an individual actually does deeds of darkness. And those deeds of darkness described by, for us by the Lord Jesus Christ actually speak of adulteries. And do you just kind of drop this up here? And you know, the Bible says, and some of you are like, well, I've never done that. I've never committed adultery. But Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's considered adultery already. You also have Jesus describing false witness, which uh, is basically just another way to say liar. So if you've ever told a lie, that came out of the deeds of darkness, out of your own life. And then also slanders, uh, slanderous remarks uh, come out of a person's heart. Some of you have spoken ugly about people this week. That has been slanderous. Where did that 
come from? Came from an evil heart. The Bible also talks about evil thoughts coming out of your heart. And the Bible also talks about thefts coming out of your heart. Uh, the scriptures uh, not only talk about adultery, but it also talks about murderous thoughts come out of your heart. All of these things come out of your heart. And some of you go, well, I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus says if you have anger in your heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom. So all these things represent your life. And we can literally go through this morning in my life as well as yours, and we could jot down sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, deeds of darkness that all have showed up in our life. This is like a debt against our own souls. You know what the Bible teaches concerning our hearts and the darkness that is in it and the deeds of darkness that we walk in? The Bible teaches us Jesus speaking. And by the way, Jesus, I think you all would agree with this, nobody had a more compassionate heart than the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness on that one? Jesus had more compassion in his heart than any person who's ever walked the planet. However, Jesus looked at those of us who were in darkness, those of us who committed deeds of darkness, and he said, if you continue to live in in darkness, you ultimately, Matthew's gospel, chapter 25 and verse 30, will be cast into, listen to this, outer darkness. And it's in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke this. He says, you who are sinners, you who reject me as king in your life, you will face a God of wrath one day, and God will judge you based upon your deeds of darkness. And because of this, you will be cast into darkness, outer darkness. You see, the judgment of God often accompanies darkness. And this is why Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 44, intrigued me this week. Look again at your Bible. I want you to see this. Luke, chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And what does your Bible say? And? Yeah, stick with me. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured. Now, this was the scene of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The time here literally is about 12 noon until 3 in the afternoon. When the Bible says that a darkness which a person could undoubtedly feel overshadowed the entire land. Jesus Christ had been led up to a place called the Skull. It's Golgotha. It's Mount Calvary. He had been uh, already scourged by a cat of nine tails, already mocked, already ridiculed, already had a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, already had purple robes laid upon his back in mockery. He was spit on. He was beaten. They would punch him in the face and then say, prophesy who just hit you. They beat him to a pulp, literally to a point where his face was unrecognizable. And then they carried him. Uh, up to Mount, God, uh, Mount Calvary, and Jesus carried his own cross. And there on the cross, they laid him down. They took one spike and put it through his right hand. The other spike, they shoved it through his left hand. And then a third spike, they shoved through both of his feet on the cross. And what is amazing is that during this crucifixion scene, there are actually two individuals who are being crucified with Jesus. They are on either side of him. And one of the guys who was on the cross... He joins the crowds in mockery. And you can imagine to the extent of his own darkness what this must have been like. He literally suffocating on his own cross would have to push up, look over to where Christ was so that he could hurl his insults. And this is what he does. He pushes up and he looks to Jesus. He's like, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. The Bible teaches how he shouted out blasphemous remarks to the Son of God who was dying 
on the cross. And then the other guy who is there hanging next to Jesus, he musters up enough strength as well, and he pushes himself up, and he looks over to the guy who's ridiculing Christ, and he's basically saying, why are you doing that? This man is not suffering justly. We are. We are getting what we deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. It's amazing, the scene there. And yet on the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ died, the Bible says from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock, which would have been towards the end of his crucifixion, that the lights went out on the land. Darkness hovered and smothered the light right there on Mount Calvary and all over the land. But what's up with this? What's up with this darkness from 12 until 3 o'clock? Well, we've already learned it. Darkness often accompanies the judgment of God's wrath. So listen closely. It was the wrath of God that was being poured out on the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was taking upon his own body God's wrath against sin. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the lights went out, that was a reminder not only to the Jews, but it was a reminder to you and I that the wrath of God was being poured out on Christ. The lights were out. But you know, the reality is uh, we look at the cross and we could ask, what in the world is Jesus dying for? Remember these deeds of darkness and this represented my life. It also represented your life. The Bible teaches us, Paul the Apostle teaching in the book of Colossians, that you and I actually have a certificate of debt against us in our life. You know, it's crazy as you look at uh, Greco-Roman history, you actually discover that during those particular days, that if you were in debt to someone and you owed them money, they would actually write your debt on a sheet of paper and come to your house and nail it on the door. Y'all down with that idea? I didn't think so. Three of you were. Oh, God bless you. You must have someone who owes you money. But anyway, so uh, it's pretty crazy. And so this was the same idea. And you can imagine if you were walking the streets of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden you began to see on the doors where people's debt was actually hung. And you would see what they owed. But according to Scripture, the Bible teaches that you and I have a sin debt that is actually nailed to the doorpost of our hearts. But over 2,000 years ago, when the Lord Jesus Christ went through the cross, Paul the Apostle teaches us a phenomenal truth. Jesus, as it were, from past, present, even to future, went by every single one of your hearts and my heart as well, and he ripped down our certificate of debt. And the Bible says in the book of Colossians that our sin debt literally has been nailed to the cross at Calvary. That's where our sin is nailed. And what you and I have to understand and be aware of is that oftentimes when we look to the cross of Calvary and we think about Jesus, we think about him dying. And we think about all the pain and the agony that he underwent. And there's no doubt, there's no greater way to die than to be crucified. But look further still at the reality when Jesus Christ died, he was not only dying for the sins of the world, listen to the preacher, he was dying for your sin. He was dying for my sin. Before I'd even committed sin, Christ died for my sin. 
And listen, the wrath of God against your life and against my life that we deserve judgment and eternal darkness because of our sin, the Bible says the wrath of God came upon his own son in our place as our substitute. And the proof of that wrath coming is the fact that the lights went out. Darkness fell over the whole land. And the people saw it. And what is wild is you consider this. If you look to the cross and all you see is a person dying there and you do not see that person dying for your sins personally, then you cannot be saved. You must, listen, identify with the darkness. I am a sinner, and when Jesus died, he was paying for my sin penalty. He was canceling out, as Colossians says, the certificate of debt that was against me. All of my sin paid for at the cross. And imagine for just a moment if you could when the blood trickled from the hands, the feet, and the brow of the Lord Jesus Christ and his side, and they took the spear and shoved it into his side, that immediately the blood would flow. But imagine if you can, the blood flowing down over your certificate of debt, washing it completely clean. That's what Jesus did. Dying on the cross for you, dying on the cross for me. So in order to be saved, in order to experience a new day, you first have to identify with the darkness. I am a sinner, and thank God Jesus died for my sin. But then there's a second reality that you must experience, and that is we must witness the dawn. You want a new day? Look at the darkness, identify with it. But then secondly, witness the dawn. See, the Lord Jesus Christ died. And I think I told the first service this and not the second, so I'll tell the third. Y'all still with me? Say yes. The Lord Jesus Christ died. The Bible says he is our perfect Passover lamb. All right? In the Old Testament, they would slay a lamb. They would take the blood of that lamb, put it over the doorpost of their homes, and the death angel would pass by whenever God was sending a plague against Egypt. That particular event actually became a future event of what Jesus Christ would do. Jesus would die upon the cross at Calvary. He was a perfect lamb sacrificed for us. His blood shed for us to be wiped over the doorpost of our hearts. But what is awesome is that in the Old Testament, they Describe what the lamb has to be like. The lamb had to be perfect without spot, without blemish. Jesus Christ was without spot, without blemish. He was perfectly pure. Never, ever did he sin. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed. Also, that lamb couldn't be some run of the litter with a broken leg. That's what the Bible says. You had to bring a lamb that was legit. Had to have all four legs popping. Y'all all right? And you couldn't bring a lamb that had broken bones because that was not a pure sacrifice. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice, our Passover lamb, the Bible says that the Roman soldiers came to the Lord Jesus to see if he was dead before they took him down to be buried. And they looked at him, and oftentimes what they would do to make sure the dude was dead on the cross is they would actually take a club or a mallet, and they would break the individual's legs on the cross. And then when their legs would break, all of their weight would fall upon them, and they would eventually suffocate. So they came to the Lord Jesus, our perfect Passover lamb. And the Bible says they did not break his legs because he was already dead. Just a reminder of who Jesus Christ is. Absolutely spotless, absolutely pure, the perfect lamb of God slain for our sin. But here's what's phenomenal. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ was taken down off of the, off of the uh, cross, and then he was placed in a borrowed tomb. Some people are like, why a borrowed tomb? He didn't need it for three days. That's why it's borrowed. Y'all out there? 
But what's cool as well is that when Jesus Christ's body was taken down off the cross, so was my sin. And then the Bible says they took the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and they went and they put the body of Jesus in that tomb. And whenever they shoved the body of Jesus into that tomb and rolled that stone over that tomb, they literally took my sin and put them in there as well. And then three days later, as the Bible teaches, the Lord Jesus Christ got up from the dead. Now, here's what's awesome. When Jesus got up from the dead, those three days later, when Jesus got up, he didn't get up with my sin. Why not? My sin had already been buried. Are y'all listening? And when Jesus got up, he got up with arms open wide to receive all who would identify with their own darkness and look to the empty tomb and say, I need Christ. He would embrace you and give you a brand new day. You know, after his passing, we read of the new dawn. Look at Luke 24 and verse 1 in your Bible. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. Matter of fact, the ladies approached the tomb where Jesus had been buried. Early dawn gave rise to the fact the Son of God wasn't there. He'd been risen. Matthew 28 and verse 5, the Bible uh, teaches that an angel said to the women who had come, do not be afraid. Somebody's like, why would an angel tell people not to be afraid? I don't know. If I ever saw one, I'd be scared to death. Y'all listening? So it wigged me out. So here it is. The angel says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Listen, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came in flesh, crucified on a cross, put in a tomb, was resurrected. No one like him on the planet. And what Jesus Christ has done substantiated and authenticated every single thing that he ever said and every single thing that he ever did. We can get in a bus this morning and we can go to a place where the bones of a man named Buddha have been buried. We can go to a place where Muhammad has been buried. We can go to a place where Confucius has been buried. But you cannot take me to a tomb where the bones of the Savior of the Son of God lie because they are not there. He has risen from the dead. And what is phenomenal, listen, listen, what's phenomenal is not only that he got up from the dead, but the Bible says he can take you who are in darkness and dead in your trespasses and sin, and by his grace, make you come alive. Gives you a new day. You a new day. You a new day. Some of you need that this morning. You've come and you've heard this message a ton of times, and you're like, later on, you're not promised later. And Jesus came to die for you, man. He came to die for you, uh, ma'am. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the darkness so that he might place upon you and I a new dawn. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. There's not a person in this room this morning who has not broken the moral law of God. And every single one of our hearts have been darkened. We've done deeds of darkness, and we deserve eternal darkness, separation from God in hell. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. All your hard work of sinning, you deserve darkness, eternal darkness. But how great the Father's love is for us. And the Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To know that we would be born with rebellious hearts, turning away from God, hating and despising his name. And yet what great love he would display to you and I by sending his son to die. 
And if we identify with the darkness in our own lives and humbly admit to holy God our creator that we have sinned against him and no other, and if we witness the dawn, realizing and believing the resurrection, you and I can both, listen, experience eternal life. We can experience a new day. I've experienced that. Some of you need to experience that this morning where you come to faith in Christ. Quit messing around. There's a line in the sand. You're in the darkness. Here's the invitation. Come to the light. Come in. How would you continue to ignore this? Our first service this morning was early, 8 o'clock. Y'all with me say yes? And uh, preaching, uh, the message gave the invitation, and uh, somebody came forward, which made me very fired up. Uh, his name was Bruce. Bruce has been coming to our church for uh, quite some time now, several months, I believe. And uh, Bruce has had people visit his home. Bruce has had one of our uh, deacons, Danny, actually visit with him and share the gospel with him, but he had not responded to the message of the gospel. And then Bruce not only had the gospel shared to him by Danny, but he came every single Sunday. And so I'm preaching, and I don't know if y'all come every Sunday, but every Sunday I preach the gospel. Are y'all listening and say yes? I'm like, y'all need to be saved. So I don't care if that is mundane to you. It's coming out of my mouth, all right? So every Sunday he hears it. Every single Sunday he hears it. And finally sets up an appointment and sits down with me in my office, and I walk through the whole gospel with him. And he's wrestling with this idea of how can a person be saved if they haven't done anything. It's like I've worked all my life trying to earn stuff, earn it. If I work hard, I get it. And now you're telling me I can get eternal life for free? And he struggled and stumbled over that. And then after sharing the gospel with him and spending time with him and giving him some books to read about the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden I started running into him at the YMCA because that's where I get my swell on. <laughs> Y'all out there? But what is amazing is after you share the gospel with somebody and you show back up in their presence again, you don't even have to say anything. They are reminded of the gospel immediately just by looking at you. And then this morning, gave an invitation. And I thought it was fixing to be over with and nobody was coming. When all of a sudden back there on the back row, Mr. Bruce stepped out. He walked down the aisle with his wife and came and grabbed me by the hand and said, I've given my life to the Lord. That is amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh -huh. It's new life, man. It's new life. It's given to an individual by faith. The reason you can't work to earn it is because you'd get all the credit for it. You'd brag on yourself. It has to be a free gift. It has to be grace so that all the praise, glory, and honor goes to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So the Bible says Christ died for you. He was buried. He was resurrected. Now you believe. Believe. Trust him. Turn from your sins. Place your faith in him. And when you do this, you know what the Bible says, which is awesome. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 5. I think we've got it on a slide up here for you. It says, you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of, listen to this, darkness. So as soon as you come to faith in Jesus, the Bible says God no longer sees you as a person in the dark. You're no longer of the night. You are sons of light. Ephesians 5 and 8 says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of the light. You know, after preaching a message like this, and I know it's very simple, and that's the point. The gospel is simple. The gospel is very simple. It's not simple in its extent and what occurred, but it is simple in its message. 
But there are some people, some people probably undoubtedly who are sitting in here this morning and look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball, but you've come to church and you're like, I hear what you're saying, Levi, but man, uh, I've ignored Christ too long. I've turned my back on Christ too long. It's too late for me. There's no way the Lord right now would give me a new day. Uh, not so fast. Remember those two guys hanging on the crosses next to Jesus? One of them ridiculed the Lord Jesus, and he breathed his last breath. Having done deeds of darkness, he was judged for those deeds, and he was cast into outer darkness. However, the other guy who, and you've got to see this, man, with, the, with just the strength he could muster up. I mean, his hands are nailed, his feet are nailed, and he pushes up, and he looks over to the Lord Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's like, What? What, what, what is this, what's this guy's deal? He's not been to church, he's not been baptized, he's not done anything good in his life. As a matter of fact, all he's done is bad things. That's why he's on the cross now. How can this guy now look to Christ and be like, remember me? There's no way Christ would remember him. And yet the Bible says that Jesus, having pushed up as well, Looking over to where this man was, crown of thorns thrust upon his head, blood is shredding down his face into his eyes. The Bible says the Lord Jesus looked over. And you've got to imagine those compassionate eyes looking to this man who has said, remember me, remember me, remember me. And then he looks at him and check this out. He, his eyes pierce through the darkness of that man's soul. And he says, hey, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, so what did this guy had the lights turned out on him as well? But Christ spoke a brand new day into his life. He'd done nothing, absolutely nothing. And some of you have come to God's house and you're like, I've got to do some stuff, man, in order to be saved. No, you don't. You keep trying to earn it and you'll find yourself in hell. God paid it all through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ died for you. And he, having been buried and resurrected, ascended into the heavens, and this morning sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And he looks down right through your darkness with the same compassionate eyes that he saw the man hanging next to him. And he says to you, if you will believe, if you will trust, today you, listen, will experience salvation. It's exactly what the scriptures teach. It's like, when is it a good time to get saved? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. When's a good time? Today. He's like, well, I'm here. I've got, we're going to eat lunch afterwards. We've got a bunch of family coming over. We've got Easter egg hunts. We've got this going on, this going on. Listen, the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is not what you're going to do this afternoon. It's whether or not you are going to place your faith in Christ. If you continue to walk in that darkness, you'll experience eternal darkness. But if you this morning will say, you know what? I want to trust the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says, according to Colossians 1 and 13, he rescued us, check this out, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. See, Jesus this morning is not only looking at you with compassionate eyes from heaven, but he is reaching out to you with nail-scarred hands. And if you will reach up and take hold of him, he will take you out of your darkness and put you in the light. It's amazing. Some of you need this. If you come in here with this dark heart, the Bible says, you place your faith in the Lord Jesus, he takes out that stony hard heart, gives you a brand new heart. And inside this box... 
you begin to operate out of this heart now. It's a heart full of the colors of life. So now everything that you desire to do is for the glory of God. You didn't act like that before. Why not? Because your heart was wicked. You got a new one now. Now your heart beats for the Son of God. Now your heart beats for worship. It beats for spiritual maturity. It beats to share the gospel with other people. This new heart transforms you. You think about those ladies who went to the empty tomb on that morning. The Bible says as soon as they left that empty tomb, they ran and they began to tell everybody Jesus Christ had been risen. Listen, when you come face to face with the reality that Jesus died for you, was buried and resurrected, and you genuinely trust that, you want everybody to know he's alive. You want them to know. So if you're in the building this morning, you're like, I don't have that. I don't have a desire uh, for others to know Christ. And for, I don't have no desire to grow spiritually. I have none of that's in my life. It's because you're still uh, with this right here. Sinful heart, hard heart, deeds of darkness. And if you don't respond to what Christ has done for you, you ultimately will stand before the Lord. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation at the great white throne judgment that the books will be open. And these books contain in them everywhere you have ever sinned, every thought, every word, and every deed. And they stack high, man. And that certificate of debt right then, because you rejected and spurned Christ, that certificate now, you deserve punishment. And God will give it to you. Y'all out there? It's like it's Easter, man. Be sweet. Try my best to encourage you to miss hell and make heaven. I can't be more sweeter than that. But the problem is, if I just get up here and smile at you and just kind of talk a little fluffy fluff, you won't pay any attention. But if I could, and I wish I could get out there sometimes and grab some of you by the shirt collar or by the shoulders and shake you. Say, what are you doing? Living your life this way when Christ died for you, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And ultimately, that's the message of any real preacher. Come to Christ. Why wouldn't you do that? Come to him this morning. We're fixing to stand to our feet and sing. It's an invitation. Look at the preacher. Don't go nowhere. Don't put your stuff up. Look at me. I have an invitation. Invitations for you who need to respond to this message. Some of you need Christ. So when we stand to our feet, I'll be standing here in the front. Some other pastors as well here on the sides will be standing. We want to receive you. So just like Bruce walked out that back aisle and walked straight down the aisle this morning, I'm going to encourage you to come. And all you got to do is come, and uh, we want to pray for you. We'll ask you as soon as you get here, did you give your heart to Jesus this morning? And you'd be like, yes, I did. Or, no, but I sure need to, and we will help you. We'll help you. God may be calling you to join the church as well, and that'll be fine. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts even now.